you to Lord Jesus for bringing D1 and his family to be with us. And thank you, D1, for joining our, our church family. Fantastic. Our reading this morning is from John chapter 14, and I'll be reading verses 1 to 14 from the NIV. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. This is the word of our Lord. Thank you, Bob. And a very good morning to our friends at Inverell Baptist Church. Now... They've been joining us for this series, and next Sunday is our final I Am sermon. So we're not going to do this today, we're going to do this next Sunday. And if I forget, you guys have to remind me, okay? What we're going to do is we're going to all turn around and say hello to We'll do that next Sunday as kind of concluding uh, farewell. Um, now, as Doug rightfully... I haven't got my Now, as, as Doug rightfully highlights in his notes, John 14, 1-14 is kind of a classic funeral text. And uh, I have preached this sermon many a time at a funeral. Uh, but this week I intentionally chose not to look at any of those funeral sermons because 
this is not a funeral. And, uh, and I obviously want to come at it through a different lens. It has been very interesting looking at these verses outside of the context of a funeral. When was the last time you had a heavy heart? You know, when you were deeply, deeply troubled. Maybe the feelings are still very fresh and raw from having a heavy heart. Maybe it was years ago and you have to think hard about what it was like. Maybe for some of you right now in this very moment, you have a very heavy and troubled heart. That's where the disciples find themselves as we open John chapter 14. At the young age of only 33, their rabbi, their Lord, is about to leave them. Now, they were not expecting this. They were counting on Jesus being around for some time, I imagine. And their week up to this point had been glorious. Not long before, Lazarus had been raised from death, as we heard about last Sunday. And Jesus has had his triumphant entry into Jerusalem with people waving palm branches, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Everything seemed at this point to be going so well. Even the Pharisees and the chief priests who had been plotting to kill Jesus had cried out in despair in verse 19 of chapter 12. See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Jesus is an incredible celebrity. And these 12 have the immense privilege of being with him in the upper room, sharing in a meal. <clears throat> However, Jesus had not come to establish an earthly kingdom. Disappointed in their dreams of a Jewish kingdom with Jesus as their miracle-working king, the fickle crowds began to change very quickly. And soon the priests were once again seeking somehow to betray Jesus into their hands. And in this scene of John 14, we see Jesus and his apostles in the upper room where they have eaten the Passover meal together. And Jesus knew exactly what the next few hours would bring. He knew, Jesus, he knew Judas was going to betray him. He knew Peter would deny him. He knew he would be arrested. He knew about the trials and the beatings that were to come. He knew that he would die on the cross. And it begins to dawn on the disciples' hearts that their rabbi, Yeshua, their Lord, is going to die. And understandably, they find their hearts to be deeply troubled. In light of all that they were about to endure, Jesus offers them words of comfort and words of hope. 
Amazingly, he is able to set aside any of his own anxieties and concerns. And in his goodness and his love and his graciousness, he seeks to comfort his followers with these words. Do not let your hearts be troubled. This phrase can actually be translated, stop being troubled implying that they already were highly anxious at this time. Immediately, Jesus then gives the cure for heart trouble. You believe in God. Believe also in me. And in this statement, Jesus is commanding believers to believe. I'm reminded of the father in Mark 9, 24, who says to Jesus, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. There is so much humanity in this statement, isn't there? This poignant moment of 12 men who are 11 at this stage, because Judas has left, who have given their lives to follow Jesus. They've confessed collectively via Peter, the spokesperson for the group, that he is the Lord, the Messiah. They do believe in him. And yet Jesus tells them to believe in him. And it's it's had me thinking. (coughs) Jesus acknowledges that they believe in God. You see that? You believe in God. Believe also in me. Now what Jesus is doing in this moment is, of course, he is equating himself with God, which is what we've been talking about every time he makes an I am statement. But there's obviously a difference at this point in terms of what it means for the disciples to believe in God who they have not seen but trust and what it means for them to believe in Jesus who they do see. He's inviting them to exercise a different level of belief. A level of belief that that requires us, that requires one to believe in something you cannot see. They cannot see God, but they believe in God. Here they are with Jesus, who's about to enter into this fascinating dialogue about he and the Father being one. So do they see God? In a sense, yes, he is right there with them. You do believe in God. Believe also in me. And this is where I think belief and trust are closely linked. You see, to truly believe is to trust in that belief, to trust in God, to trust in Jesus, is to trust that what he says will come to pass. And Jesus is speaking words of reassurance, he always has. And at this point, he's reminding them, he's inviting them to put their trust in those words. 
True belief is not merely passive thought, something that happens in our minds. There is an activeness required to place one's trust in one's belief. So for the disciples, believing in Jesus, placing their trust in Him, in His Word, in that what He says will come to pass, is the key to overcoming a troubled heart. Now there's a message right there for everyone here this morning. When you have a troubled heart, the cure is to believe in Jesus. You might say, of course, I believe in Jesus. No, believe in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Trust in what Jesus has said, that it will come to pass, that your suffering will not last forever, that a new day is coming because we serve a resurrected Lord. Jesus, fully aware of what the imminent future holds, know that his disciples are going to be fearful. And he knows that in the wake of the torture and the beating and the crucifixion that is to come, that they are very easily going to be sidetracked with feelings of despair and discouragement. And Jesus wants to lift their eyes beyond what's about to happen to heaven. To eternity. And therefore, he directs their gaze towards heaven. He wants them to be future focused. And in verse 2, he declares, My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? Is heaven under construction? Is Jesus going to use his earthly carpentry skills to go and lend a hand at the heavenly workplace? No. There is no more need for further construction. The Father's house is prepared. It is ready. Jesus is simply saying that through his death, resurrection and ascension, the way to these rooms or dwelling places will be completely prepared for us. It's really quite something to think about the fact that Jesus has prepared a place for us to dwell with him. A place that is perfect and permanent. We will never outgrow our heavenly dwelling and have to move. We will never have the unnerving experience of having to outbid others or miss out on the place we want because someone else had more money. Our heavenly home will not be subject to loan approvals, solicitors' checks, pest and timber inspections or cooling off periods. No need to worry about any of that. Our place has been prepared. Our place is permanent. No having to worry about changing your address 
for the ninth time in 16 years. Unlike a Jennings home that after years of wear and tear requires costly renovation, our heavenly home will never grow old or tired or daggy. Who, can't, who cannot wait to arrive at your heavenly home? The home that your soul yearns for. The home that has been created for you by the Father who loves you and who knows you more intimately than anyone else. How much joy does fill your heart when you think about that home? And you see what Jesus is doing here. He's removing the reality of his imminent death and suffering and crucifixion, which is absolutely about to take place. And it's going to be awful. But he's wanting to lift the eyes of the disciples to a higher reality, to a higher purpose, to a higher calling, to the end game. And there's a word for us too. It's so easy for us to get so caught up in the here and now. And yet, as believers, we need to always maintain an eternal perspective. This is not our home. We are temporary residents. Our home is in heaven with our heavenly Father. Come, Lord Jesus, and take us to be with you where you are, where there is no more suffering, where there are no more tears, where there is no more uncertainty, where there is joy and happiness and completion. And the guarantee of heaven is confirmed by Jesus. He goes on to say, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. There are lots of facts about how frequently the Scriptures return, uh, speak of the return of Christ. I've got a few here, but I'm just going to give you one. For every prophecy in Scripture concerning Christ's first coming, there are eight prophecies about Christ's second coming. The Bible has a whole lot more to say about the second advent than it does about the first. And that is designed to fill our hearts with hope. We get very excited at Christmas time, and I love Christmas. But at Christmas time, we celebrate and commemorate the first advent. But as believers, what we can see is it's the second advent that God wants us focused on, that God wants us to constantly remind one another that He's coming again. He's coming again. Our Savior is alive, and He is coming again. Now, when Jesus said to his disciples that he would return, what did he mean exactly? Well, commentators suggest three things. Jesus came back, firstly, in his resurrection. Secondly, Jesus came back when he sent his spirit. And thirdly, Jesus will come back for a second advent. And this knowledge calms the troubled heart. When a child is hurt or upset, as soon as they know their parent 
is on the way. It improves their outlook immediately. Yes, the pain is still there. But they know and trust that help is on the way. Brothers and sisters, when you are in pain, know that your Father is on His way. And take comfort. Jesus does not want believers despairing. He says, I am coming. There's a whole lot more here, but I think we can finish there. I haven't even got to the I am yet, but I think there's enough there for us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this morning we just celebrate the fact that you are indeed returning, that you are coming. And we thank you, Lord, that you went on to say to your disciples that you are the way and the truth and the life. Gosh, so much there for us to talk about. But right now, Lord, I just sense that you want us to be reminded of the fact that you are coming again. And that whatever hardships or troubles we may face, you want us to lift our eyes and remember that you are coming. Oh Lord, you are the great I am. And we humbly acknowledge this morning that we are not We are so incomplete and broken without you. And yet, Lord, in you, in Jesus, we have been transformed from hopeless, helpless sinners to glorious saints bound for glory. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your word. Help us to dig deeply and richly into it this week as we gather in growth groups and talk more about this wonderful passage in John 14. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your presence here with us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.